you all here and to those who are watching online and especially to those who are in the theater right now. Shout out to you guys. Thank you. Today we're going to rejoice in Jesus. How about that? I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I, uh, I uh, had a, I always have two goals at Thanksgiving. The first one is to give thanks to the Lord. Because it is Thanksgiving, I want to make sure I do that. The second one is to eat way more than I should. I accomplished both of those things this Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm grateful for the abundance that we have. And it's, God is good. Gracious God. Well, today, um, I believe that the word that we have is going to be helpful for many of you today. In fact, I think the challenges that many of us face right now in our lives, um, well, God has an answer for. And who, wherever you are, there's an answer and an answer in his word. So I'm going to ask you to pray for me, will you? Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to open your word your word is powerful and alive. And Lord, you've asked us to be diligent hearers of your word, and I pray that you'll help us to do that. Lord, you have something for us today, and I, I pray that you would help me to communicate that well. And I ask for your anointing as we, as we share your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So where we are is we've been studying the book of Hebrews. And um, we're in chapter number 11. And chapter num number 11 was spurred by a scripture in chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse 38, um, the writer of Hebrews actually quotes from the book of Habakkuk. And he quotes a scripture that says, the just shall live by faith. Now that is repeated Three other times in the New Testament. It is a very important truth that is found in the Old Testament. Because what it says to us is the idea of us being justified or right before God is not, even in the Old Testament, wasn't because of their animal sacrifices or any of those things. There was a covering in that, but that was not how they were justified. They were justified by faith. It was faith it's that, that produced, in fact, that salvation, that, that uh, security. And it's in the Old Testament. The thing is that in the Old Testament, they looked to God by faith, looked to the promises of God in the future. We look at those same things in the past. We've seen them actually happen. We have history of it happening. They looked, in, they looked toward it. And so the author is writing to answer the question that comes up. If the just shall live by faith, what is faith? What's faith? Now, what, what causes, I mean, how do you live by faith? What's life by faith look like? And so what he does is he starts giving us some illustrations of people who live by faith. So that we're able to look and say, okay, this is what life by faith looks like. And he pulls out in their life stories some very interesting things. They, in fact, 
in some of the cases, it seems odd the kind of uh, the, the, the stories that he pulls out of people's lives. Some of them don't even, you wouldn't even consider them to be their major achievements of faith. You kind of wonder, why do they choose that one, you know? You, you kind of think of people like, like David. Was David's greatest achievement, wasn't it like when he, when, when he killed Goliath? You know, and you have these high moments in people's lives in which there was great faith, and you think that he would use those high moments, and he doesn't always do that. Sometimes he uses these obscure kind of things that you go, that didn't even seem like that was much of anything. There's better things I would have used, but he's using them to bring out a specific truth to us about faith. And so as we watch the scripture unfolding to us, we're today looking at another story by in the in the life of the man who's considered the father of faith or the father of the faithful called Abraham and uh, and in his his story and we're looking at it in chapter 11 in verse 17 in this sh- short section now he's already talked to us about the fact that that um, Abraham achieved a, a great measure of faith when he left the Ur of Chaldees and he went to a land that God told him he needed to go. He didn't tell him where he was going. He didn't, tell, he didn't give him that information as God oftentimes doesn't. He just told him to do something and he was required to do it. And so he did. He ended up um, leaving and going to a land. But the author then brings up this part of the story. It was great faith for Abraham to leave. But then the author brings up this. He says that he, he dwelt in that land that God had told him to go to. In fact, God had promised him that this land was his land and for his generation, generations following. And, but the author brings up the fact that Abraham never built a house there. He never settled in into that place. He never settled in. That all he primarily did is he wandered in the land. He, he, had a, he, he lived in a tent. He, he camped out his whole life, at, you know, in the promised land. And God blessed him, and he, it multiplied. There were servants. There was, God blessed him, his resources, and all of those kinds of things. But Abraham never settled in. And the author pulls out this incredible truth and says this. That's because Abraham's goal was not to be at that land. Abraham had a higher goal. He was looking for another city. The scripture says he was looking for the city whose maker was God. And so Abraham was looking for that heavenly city that would come down out of heaven, the new Jerusalem, that would in fact be over that land. And God would establish his kingdom forever in the future. So Abraham himself had this futuristic view in faith that he was hoping for and it wasn't actually just getting into the land. And then the scripture adds later on, in all, almost all of these cases, it says that they never actually were able to physically see the promise that they were holding on to. In Abraham's case, he never saw, in fact, the, you know, the, the, the fulfillment of the promise that God had given to him about the land, 
Also, he never saw the fulfillment that God had given to him about his children, his prodigies, and, and all that God had promised. promised. God promised him that from him would come nations, and, and, and his children would be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea. And yet when he died, he only had a couple kids by that point, and he never saw it fully. But he saw it by the eyes of faith. And that's why the beginning of this chapter, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what you hope for, it, the substance of that hope is found in faith. And it's the evidence of things that you haven't seen yet. Yet you live because you know that the promise is true. And you live out your life with holding on to that promise and seeing it through the eyes of faith. So let's take a look at the text. Let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. The verses will be on the screen as well. But it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. So he, he says, when he was tested, let me just stop there. Because this was a test for Abraham. I, I think he passed with flying colors. The man had tremendous amount of faith. The fact is we will all, we all face in our life tests. And, uh, you know, tests have, they, 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 there's good reasons for tests in, in our natural life, right? How many of you hated tests during school? When you're in school, you hate tests. How many of you love tests? I mean, you look forward to the next test. Some, he held up his hand twice for both. And, and I would agree with that because if you really know the subject, you're looking forward to the test. You know you're going to do good. If you have no clue, like I did most of the time, I hated tests, right? You just, you, you, so, but te tests of faith are a different level. And all tests of faith for the believer is a good thing. The Bible says they're precious. There's something about the test itself that is a precious gift to us. Because it does two things. One, it tells you that faith, it tells you the level of your faith. Because here's the thing. As for me, I'm just giving, giving my experience. I'm a man of faith. I have tremendous amount of faith. I am so confident in the level of faith until I get tested. And then all of a sudden, I come to reality, right? The test brings you to a reality. I have so much faith, and then you, you get tested, and you go, whoa, I realize, you know, anybody can have great high faith when everything's going great, everything's going wonderful. But this brings you down to where you really are. And the test actually exposed to yourself. It's supposed to be for you. To expose to you where you really are in your level of faith. Not to discourage you, but so that self-evaluation can cause you to start pursuing growing in your faith. The second thing about faith is this. That when you go through the test of faith, you actually improve in your faith. You grow your faith. Your faith grows through the test itself, you see. Two of my children just uh, took the bar in the last year, separate, at separate times, took the bar. And, and um, my daughter, she passed the bar. My son's waiting for the results. 
extremely stressful, extremely stressful as they're waiting. It's considered one of the toughest things to do is to pass the bar. And, and so, um, you know, we, we waited. And when my daughter was getting the results, we were at home. We were at the computer. It was an event, right? At the computer because she could log in at a certain particular time. And then she would see if she passed or not. And all of a sudden, she screams with this loud scream. I'm just like, you know, whoa, wait, 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 we're freaking out. And she had passed, so she was so happy. That was a happy scream. My son is going to, we'll find out here in a while. And uh, I hope he doesn't scream. Uh, either way in, in that. But the point is that many people don't pass the bar the first time, and they have to retake it. Oftentimes, many times, I know of several people have taken it more than five or more times to pass. But you learn from simply even taking the, te- the, the bar. You, you can grow in the process. The, the process of taking it can help you. That's true about many tests. It's absolutely true about the test of faith. The test of faith, as you go through it, you do it, it there's a proper self-evaluation. But if you go through it properly... If you go through it properly, you'll actually grow in your faith as you go through the test itself. And some of you can look back at tests that you have faced in your life that that's been the case. Now, he says, uh, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. What was the promise? Well, the promise was through Isaac would come this, the nations would come out of Isaac. I mean, Isaac would be the child, of, he's a child of promise. And, and I want you to notice it says he offered up his only begotten son or his only unique son. It's interesting he uses that term. We'll, we'll discuss it in a, in a minute why it's important. But but this promise that through him that he would reach the world, reach the world. I mean, through him there'd be, there would be generations that would come and the Messiah would come through him. So think of what he was going through when he made a decision to sacrifice his son, which was in fact the son of promise. And what it would take for him to go through that. Not knowing, remember, see, where Abraham grew up in the Ur of Chaldees, that was a, we, we have um, archaeological digs right now that, that they've been done, and we know a lot about it. It, it was a, a, a city that at, at the time of Abraham had about 300,000 people. That's a huge city in those days. That had been huge. It, we, we, found, uh, we found artwork there, meaning that they had culture, this was a huge, and it was, it was pantheistic society. They believed in many gods. They had all kinds of gods they worshipped. That's, that's the place that Abraham came out of. Now, when he came out of that, he heard the voice of God, and he gave up all those, that worship of all those many gods, and at some point in his life, he recognized the true and living God. But... He, he knew of, in fact, human sacrifice. He was not told that, he didn't know that God would not require that at this point. 
the, the law of Moses hadn't been given. God had not spoke, you know, he hadn't, didn't have the Ten Commandments. He didn't have all that. He might have known that God wouldn't have called him to do that, but we don't know. It seemed like he was ready to do whatever he felt like God was calling. So he would have done it because it's something he had probably grown up seeing actually happen. And God speaks to him and says, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, just in, fa- fa- just in case you haven't read the whole story, don't worry, he doesn't have to sacrifice his kid. God, God's, God's good with you know, not, you know, him not killing his children. And, and God is not for us killing our children, no matter what you think at any particular time in your parenting. God is always wanting, you know, us to be honorable of his word in that. But so, he says, he offered up his only begotten son. He received the promise and then he offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. So Isaac is going to be the, 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 the form, the way in which. He said, and, it says, and then it says, verse 19, I want you to, to hone in on this. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him as a figurative, in a figurative sense. Now, what he's saying is this, and for a while, I believed, or you know, I used to believe that, that Abraham, when he, he was offering up Isaac, he believed that God was going to rescue him from actually having to sacrifice him, but that's not the case. The scripture says that where Abraham got his faith was the faith was in the promise that, in fact, even if he killed his kid, that God somehow had to get the promise fulfilled. Somehow through Isaac, he was going to do this promise of reaching, you know, generations and generations and ultimately reaching the world and touching the world. He believed that so much that he thought even if he killed his kid, that God's still going to fulfill the promise. And so the only way he could think that was possible of happening was that God would raise him up. That God would raise his son from the dead. He was so secure in the promise that when God told him to kill his kid, he just went, I believe God. I know what God said. God is going to use Isaac to reach the world. I know it's going to happen. So even if I kill my kid, God will raise him up. Now, he didn't know that God would never allow that to happen. But in his mind, he had believed the promise so much. Let me ask you, what promise do you believe that much? God has made promises to us as well, hasn't he? About resurrection, about life eternal, about all those things. And when you see someone, you know, in in that casket, don't you believe a moment that's the end of the story? The promise actually for any believer goes on. So Abraham has, let me say it this way, he has resurrection faith. Will you say that with me, resurrection faith? Resurrection faith. You're not playing along. Shall we try that one more time? Resurrection faith. Resurrection faith. Okay. From which it says, 
he believed in the, that, that he'd raised him from the dead. Now, then look at this verse, end of this verse, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, Isaac didn't raise from the dead. Isaac never died, but he got up off the altar. And so in a figurative sense, Isaac came back from the dead, figuratively. Now, that word figuratively um, actually is translated, uh, I think, 26 or 27 times in the New Testament as a parable. So in a, it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of like a parable or an, an allegory is what he's saying. He's saying this is like an allegory. So what's he telling us? He's telling us that this story about Abraham and Isaac has a fuller meaning for us, something deeper in our understanding. Would you like to see that? Turn over to Genesis chapter 22, and let's see the connection. Let's see what is this parable? What is this allegory? It's this allegory about Abraham and Isaac and this whole story. In chapter 22 in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. We already saw that part. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now when he said that, Isaac had another son. Isaac already had another son. Yet God says, I want you to take your only son. Isn't it interesting? The scripture talks about Adam, first man Adam, and the last Jesus, and the difference between the two. A- Adam, Adam was the, you know, he was the first man. He was, he was a son of God in the sense that God created him directly. He wasn't the fruit of, you know, of another, another's womb. He wasn't the fruit of the seed of another man. He was, he was birthed as a, as a son created by God. Jesus is the unique son of God, never created, eternal, the God of heaven, the God of of creation, is Jesus himself. Now, what he's seeing, we see here is he says, take your only son Isaac, because Ishmael is not the child of the blessing. He's not the child uh, of of the, you know, of, of what I'm going to do through him to bring the Messiah, to bring the, the, the seed, the Savior. But he is the unique, Isaac is the unique one. John 3.16 says, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. And then it says, whom you love. Now, for 22 chapters... In the Bible, the word love never shows up. This is the very first time in the Bible the word love comes up. It's not the love between Adam and Eve. It's not the love between any of the other husbands and wives. It's not the, the love between any of the, any of the people. It's not the love between Abraham and God, God, you know, Abraham, it never says Abraham loved God. 
The very first time in, is in this story where he says, the son you love. Because God is wanting us to see the relationship between our heavenly father and, and Jesus and the love that is there. Abraham loved his son. And God brings it out because God wants us to know how much he loves his son. God's, God's act to us is not, wasn't just a intellectual, you know, this is the kind of, if I'm going to justify the world, am I going to reach the world, I have to do this and it's an intellect. No, there was a heartfelt pain with God when he sent his son. Even though it was agreed upon before creation, even though God desired us and because of love wanted us to have an opportunity to have relationship with him and to have eternity with him and all of that, it was a heartfelt experience for God. God is an emotional being. I, you, you know, I, I should say God has emotions. He's not, he's not emotional, but God has emotions. God, the, the, the primary emotion of God is love. And if you do a search as we do in our study in deeper, the, the depths of the emotion of God, you start to understand his character and you understand his nature, you understand his personality. And God loves and he gave us that capacity in a small amount compared to what he has and he loves his son. And when he gave his son, he gave that which he loved the most. And so God says to to. Abraham, I want you to take your son, I want the, the, the one you love, you know, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. It's, do you think it's a coincidence that God had him go to the same place, the same hillside as where Jesus would be crucified? That's where he goes to sacrifice his son. He goes to the same hillside where his, his, um, his son, God's son, would eventually die for the sins of the world. He says, and offer him there as a burnt offering. You offer him. Because, see, Jesus, the father, would offer his son. And, and he says, on, on the mountain, which I shall tell you, I want you to offer him there. And verse 3 says, so Abraham rose early in the morning because faith responds immediately. You know, great faith doesn't hesitate. Great faith moves forward in obedience. So he, he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and, he, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, now I don't know why that third day is in there, but it could have something to do with three days that takes place in the, in, 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 uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. But Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back. I want you to see that his, act, his heart of faith is also communicated in his speech. He says what he believes. 
And you and I, if we truly have faith, it will, it, you, it's going to leak out. You can't help yourself. If you're a person of faith, what you believe will come out in your words. You will say the things you believe. That's also the things you doubt, the things you disbelieve. You'll say those things too. I want to ask you to just, no, no show of hands, but have you spoken more faith this last week or doubt? Have you spoken out more of your worries or have you spoken out the promises of God in your life? And if that has been reversed, you need to make a switch. You need to get, you need to get out of your mouth the things that are, you need to actually get in your heart the things that you really believe. Get it in your heart with the word of God. Attach the word with faith and then begin to speak those things out of your life. Abraham knows he, in his mind he's going to go sacrifice his son. But as he goes to sacrifice, he's already saying, we're coming back. See, he's already anticipating out of faith, we'll be coming back. And Abraham took the wood, verse 6, of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. There was another son that took some wood on his back too. I, I, I know you would remember that too. And he carried the cross. And he took upon himself the, 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 the place in which his sacrifice, his own life would be taken. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Something's dawning. Where's, where's what? The lamb. I, I think the wording is proper there as well. Because it reminds us that the sacrifice that needs to be made is one, is the sacrifice of the lamb of God. The sacrifice, as John the Baptist looked and said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That that's the one. We need him. He, we need him to go to the altar. We need him to go to the sacrifice and be the sacrifice for us. And, uh, and so it's, and, and Abraham's response is this. My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Now the wording here can be given in two, these two different ways. One is the way that the new New King James just uh, said it, that God will provide for himself the lamb. But another way it also is translated is simply this. It's, it's without the four. It is God will provide himself the lamb. See, he's the lamb. God will provide himself the lamb. Jesus was, in fact, the lamb. God was, in fact, the lamb. And so the two of them went together. And then it says, so Abraham, <clears throat> Abraham takes his son. And the scripture says that he laid him on the altar. And he, he began to, to tie him up. Now, what you don't get is you don't get Isaac going, wait a minute, old man. You know? <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. You know, Abraham's 117 years old. 
right? 117 years old. So he could have been thinking, I think uh, my dad's kind of losing a little bit at this point, you know. And uh, Isaac's about 17 or 18, right? And uh, I, I, I'm currently take, helping take care of my 92-year-old dad. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, I would not let him tie me up for anything. <laughs> I do not trust that. <laughs> but a hundred and this, and so, but Isaac doesn't get any credit for it. There, there's nowhere, in fact, when you see the story of Isaac, uh, of his faith in this, in the, in the, this chapter, he does, he's not, it doesn't even mention the fact that Isaac let him, his dad tie him up. He let that happen. He, he became part of the willingness of the sacrifice himself, which of course Jesus was. Jesus came willingly to sacrifice for us. You see, the Bible, the scripture gives us hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah. I mean, we know some really interesting details about who he would be, what he would do, the sacrifice he would make. All those things we find in the scriptures in direct prophecy. But beyond that, more than that even, is these these. Uh, parables, these types, these allegories, these uh, inferences of the Messiah. And that's what we're getting in this story. It's one of hundreds. They come out in many different ways. The sacrifices, the the feast days, and all these things are, the, the story of the Messiah and the sacrifice of Christ is from beginning to end. And, and and anyone who really takes the time to, to really take a look at the scriptures and study it sees it. And you go, how could anyone even miss it? How could you not see? I mean, the story of Abraham, this allegory, this, this story that is clearly a representation of what Jesus would do, the Messiah would do, and he fulfilled it just like that. How do you miss that? I mean, it was done, well... Moses wrote it 1,500 years before Christ, and the story actually happened prior to that. How did they know? The Holy Spirit. All these, all these things are pictures for us of what the Messiah would do and do for us, and we get an insight into that. And so he, he lays him on the altar, and he takes his knife, and he's getting ready and, uh, and God stops him and says, no, Abraham, don't kill your son. Pick it up in verse 13. It says, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. God provided a sacrifice. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up to, for a burnt offering instead of his son, And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Do you know him that way? God reveals himself through our experiences many times. I mean, you can hear those words. The place was named it, the Lord will provide. But I have a feeling Abraham knew that 
better than anyone else who would wander up that hill and go, yeah, we're on the place where God provided for Abraham. I'm so grateful God provided for Abraham. But do you know that God yourself? You see, Abraham knew God by the experience. And God wants you to know him by the experience. Abraham only knew God by the experience because he had a need and God provided. If he wouldn't have gone through the test, God, Abraham would have never known the God who provides. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Have you experienced that in your life? Sometimes we despise the test. And yet they're the only way we discover God in that intimate and wonderful way. That's where God actually comes through for us and we discover the God who provides or the God who heals. We, we find God in his nature, in what he does and how he, when we have the experience of his work in our lives. Verse 15 says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time out of heaven and said, by, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. You know, Abraham's direct descend descendants, I'm um, today, uh, the Arab, Arabs and, uh, and Jews number about 480 million in the planet right now. Direct descendants of 480 million. That's not counting those who are, you know, they've uh, inter uh, intermarried and, uh, and, and down the road it might be a, a grandfather, a great-grandfather that fits in that category. So you have some of that genetic, you know, traces in you, but you're not the, the, the you know, a fully Jew or fully a Jew or, or a, an Arab. 480 million. In fact, how many of you even in your line, how many of you here have um, in your lineage um, Jewish or, or Arab lineage in your line? How many of you here? Would you raise your hand? I just want to see. We had quite a few in the first service. Only a few here. Okay, we're a bunch of Gentiles. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so God has fulfilled that. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. It says, in your, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That has happened through Jesus. And you have obeyed my voice. And it's, by the way, in, in your seed, that is seed singular, not plural. It's one seed has reached the world. All the nations of the world have been blessed. So Abraham returned. To his young men, I want you to notice something that's missing. And they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. What's missing? Isaac. There's no mention here of Isaac coming down the mountain with him. Now, I would assume he did. But there's a reason, I think, there's no reason, there's no mention of him. Because Isaac is not even mentioned again in the text until he's waiting for his bride. You might catch on to that. 
Because that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's waiting for his bride. See, the purchase price for his bride was, was a cross. And the Father has sent out his spirit. It's interesting that the servant of Isaac that went out, or the servant of Abraham went out to find Isaac a bride. It's the same word. His name means uh, helper. His name means the same as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit today is out gathering his bride. His, his work is, the Holy Spirit is out convicting people of sin that they might come to Christ and come to salvation so that they could be part of the body of Christ and they could be part of the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. See, Jesus is, in fact, coming back for us. And as Isaac was waiting for his bride to finally show up, we, in fact, are getting prepared as the bride of Christ. You know, the, getting, the, the, the wedding is getting ready, and Jesus is coming back. And it doesn't take much imagination to see what's going on in this world and comparing it with Scripture and starting to realize that it's coming quickly and it's soon. And Jesus is coming back for his bride. And the fulfillment will be, you know, complete as the Lord returns. And we need to be making ourselves ready. He's ready. He's ready for us. And we need to be ready. Listen, the sacrifice that the father gave when he gave his son that he loves, the, the, the willingness of Jesus to be the sacrifice and to follow through and die on the cross for us and make a way for us to have eternal life. The promise, some of us won't see it until it's done, maybe. You know, we don't know in the time frame. But here's the thing. If you die not having seen the promise fulfilled, you will. And if you're alive, when Jesus comes, the scripture says this, we'll be transformed in the moment, in the twinkling of the eye, the last trump. So when that trumpet sounds... We will see the fulfillment of the promise. And so here's the thing. All of us face challenges. God is good. God has blessed Abraham while he was on earth. He didn't live for earth. He had his hopes. He had his, his goal to uh, another city. That's where he, his heart was. And ours should be as well. As we're walking through this, journeying through this, kind of passing through this life, God will bless us and give us things and take care of us, but we're not going to see all the fulfillment of all the dreams that we have and all the hopes that we have in our life. We, we will come to the end, if the Lord tarries, we'll come to the end with still promises ahead of us. But they should be strong enough to take us to anything. They were, faith was strong enough to take Abraham through what he thought was the death of his son because he believed in the resurrection. The other story 
of this, and this is the last thing I want to say to us, is Abraham was willing to lay down that which was most precious to him. And following God means that. It means that. We, it means where we say, Lord, nothing, nothing is more important. I, I'm not going to make an idol out of anything. I can let loose of anything. Even the things I don't want to let loose of. God knows those things. But I still surrender them by faith. And I say, God, God, to the best of my ability, I lay down everything. I want to I follow you by faith. I don't want to waver in it. I want to be a man of faith fully. How about you? Or a woman of faith? Well, Father, we thank you. I thank you for... I thank you for the promises fulfilled. I thank you that, Lord, we can see, Lord, that what you fulfilled for us, how much you gave up for us, what you've given to us, Lord. And that, Lord, like Abraham, who is just a man, not anything special other than the fact that he believed you. And I pray, God, for in our lives that, Lord, each of us will take the promises of God and we will be secure in them, Lord, I pray. I pray for anyone who is listening online or here that is distant from God. And if you're in that situation where you're far from God, you, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. Eternal life is available to you. And if you'll believe that Jesus Christ, God's son, died for your sins and he was buried, but he conquered death, and you'll put your faith in him, as your savior, your rest in his finished work that he did for you. If you ask him to cleanse your soul, every sin that you've ever committed in your life, even the ones you don't even know about or don't remember, or even the most egregious sin in your life that you would just ashamed that you've done, Jesus will cleanse your soul. And you can simply ask him, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. You were buried and conquered death. Jesus, I ask you into my life. I ask you to cleanse my soul from all of my sin and help me to follow you from this day forward, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you did that, let us know. Just go to our website at ccanaheim.com. And let us know, and we'll send you a Bible, some information that will help you on your new road, your walk with Jesus. So we want to help you with that. Are you guys ready to just close and worship? Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Sound good? Let's do that. Let's stand together.
in faith, and we'll see you on Wednesday night.
you are worthy.